This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and this is Where Parents Talk. Coming up, we are going to examine what influences how kids learn, and specifically how a parent can better support their child's learning journey. Our guest is a professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She's also a widely published researcher with expertise in international education, cognitive science, and global public health. Dr. Christine Laguerre is also director of the Centers for Applied Cognitive Science and a mom. One area of her research focuses on the role of the mind in facilitating learning, creating, and imparting culture. She joins us today from Austin, Texas. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Dr. Laguerre, what are some of the basic tools that you believe parents should have in their arsenal when it comes to supporting their child's learning? Some of the tools that I would highlight are, um, well, they are a, a range of tools that span things like the types of capacities that are going to promote um, learning new material, learning challenging new material, uh, persevering in the face of obstacles. So some of these are cognitive, some of these are social and emotional. Um, there's a whole suite of um, of capacities that promote academic achievement. And a lot of the um, a lot of the capacities that get the most attention, things, you know, things like um, focus and uh, learning how to do computation or learning how to improve your reading skills or memorizing more science facts, for example, tend to get a lot of attention. But I think a lot of the process skills or um, sometimes they're called soft skills, things like um, creative problem solving, hypothesis testing, um, persevering in the face of maybe some frustrating challenges are even more important. And I think these are these are really the places that parents can um, provide additional practice and support for their children. So why do you believe that those process skills perhaps don't get the attention that they may deserve? It's a good question. I, it's not that educators don't realize those are important and don't value them. Certainly they do. I think that a lot of traditional school uh, curricula focuses much more on discrete and measurable content. And there's a number of reasons for that. And certainly building up your knowledge base is important. Uh, but I think a lot of what children end up doing in school focuses disproportionately on memorizing new information and building up that knowledge base. And uh, I think there's a lot of, there's a growing interest in practicing the types of skills that are readily generalizable outside of the classroom, as you're supposed to be preparing for the world. <laughs> and so a parent can provide a lot of opportunities to um, take process skills that are, um, that maybe don't receive quite as much emphasis as they maybe ideally could um, in the classroom into spaces outside of the classroom. So let's talk about process skills then as they relate to elementary school students and how specifically parents of that age group of students could better support their child learning those process skills. 
Sure. So um, maybe one really concrete example would be children's museums. So children's museums and other uh, informal learning spaces that are um, you know, clearly meant not just for children, but for families to learn with their children. These environments are ideally suited to the type of more open-ended exploration that I think is, is perfectly suited to process skills. So if you think about a children's science exhibit where maybe you're um, learning how to build simple machines with pulleys, going with your child there and having a more open-ended challenge where you identify a goal and work together in collaboration to figure out how the parts fit together and um, why some parts might not fit together <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, how do you troubleshoot and come up with new ideas when maybe something isn't working quite as expected and how to uh, persevere when maybe it's a bit frustrating <laughs> when things don't work together um, immediately because uh, that can be frustrating for a child and for adults in some cases. <laughs> so these are the sort of open-ended exploratory spaces that build creative problem solving, troubleshooting, and also some of those socio-emotional skills, perseverance, and um, yeah, persisting in the face of frustration. Let's take that same concept of process skills development by parents for their children and apply that to the adolescent teenage age group. What does that look like and how can parents better support them? So socio-emotional development does certainly does not stop in adolescence. I think this is it receives a lot of attention um, in early childhood for obvious reasons, important reasons. But self-regulation, for example, the ability to direct your cognitive and emotional energies into achieving goals that often re- require multiple steps, setting sub-goals in order to achieve a larger goal. It's exactly the sort of activity that adolescents need uh, you know, a lot of practice with. And uh, focusing your attention in the face of uh, quite a lot of distraction, for example. So one of the things that parents can do with adolescents is you know, talking to them about their interests and their goals and the sorts of things that they would like to learn how to do, the things that are suited to their unique interests and figuring out ways that they can learn in collaboration with their families and with their parents. So giving adolescents are very interested in choice. They're very interested in uh, practicing their own agency and applying that agency to learning new things, not just uh, educational um, uh, activities overtly associated with school, but things that respond to their interests in a kind of more holistic, broader way. And uh, harnessing maybe hobbies, for example, um, in structured ways that allow them to practice self-regulation and, again, some creative problem solving. So really harnessing their interests, I think, is is very, very useful. Makes it more interesting and engaging for them, too. You are listening to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Christine Laguerre, Professor of Psychology. We're talking about a parenting playbook to support a child's learning. Now, Dr. Laguerre, you use the word hobby, and it's almost a word you never hear being used anymore. Many parents today have gone the way of choosing structured activities for their kids, whether that's a team sport or something else. What is your thought on that in terms of helping kids develop process skills? 
Yeah, that's a terrific question. There are um, pros and cons of all different types of activities. So team sports are tremendously valuable. They promote all sorts of different, um, you know, everything from eye-hand coordination to teamwork to um, good sportsmanship. Uh, great example of something that promotes physical and motor and cognitive and socio-emotional development. So I'm a huge fan of team sports. That said, there are a lot of, there's a lot of other activities that are useful for children that provide some of the same benefits, but some unique benefits having to do with learning an instrument or um, learning how to construct machines, um, understanding kind of the physical causal processes associated with machinery and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's also nice to have space for children to be, to be unstructured and to follow their own interests and even uh, to be a little bit bored at times. I mean, one of the things that worries me a lot about um, social media and the um, omnipresence of screens is that we are, we don't have we're all, we can always be stimulated by these kinds of devices and children are more and more stimulated, not just by this, but by a growing number of activities. So having at least some space for a child to be, uh, their mind to be free and open enough to be alone with their thoughts, to process their emotions, to think through the, their, their um, maybe their day and how things are going, having some of that just downtime to process, I think is really helpful. And I think children have, and adults have much less of that than we used to. With respect to where learning occurs today and how it takes place these days, technology has certainly been influential in that regard. How would you describe the general impact of these changes, different platforms and modes of education on how kids are learning? Well, I think that there, again, there are always trade-offs. So there are many wonderful things about technology. They provide children with access to information they didn't used to have. Um, but they also constrain the sorts of experiences that children have. Because it's it's certainly the case that um, the classroom has never been the only place that children learn, right? Children have always learned in children's museums or running through the forest or having a picnic with the family or spending time at the lake feeding the birds, <laughs> that sort of thing. So it is the, I think the, the, challenge with technology is that it is increasingly encroached upon those sorts of more organic spaces that families have traditionally spent time in with their children. And more and more, they have um, moved towards these electronically mediated experiences, which are not always solitary, but are often solitary. So these Educational learning platforms do provide um, an opportunity to connect with people on the other side of the world or on the other side of the city or with children um, on the other side of the world, the other side of the city. So there can be an opportunity for connection, but it, they also can be quite isolating. And it is not uncommon to see a whole family interacting with <laughs> technology um, alone and yet in the same room. So I think being mindful of best practice in using these technologies, but also putting putting a limit on them. So there is time to connect very directly in, in ways that are not mediated by screens. 
When you talk about a playbook for parents with respect to supporting their child's learning, why do you believe it's important for a parent to even have a playbook? I think that there's that thinking about uh, parenting as having a toolkit, being equipped with a great variety of different sorts of tools to support your child in flexible ways. I think that's very, very helpful because children have a variety of different challenges and lots of different, you know, things opportunities, but also challenges pop up all the time. So the more tools a parent has in their toolbox, the more they can flexibly respond to what the child might need at any given point, be uh, based on challenges with particular type of content or subject matter. Uh, There are different challenges associated with different ages, right? Where some of the challenges that adolescents face, children in earlier middle childhood don't face, and also vice versa. So a toolkit that is responsive to the age of a child, to uh, the unique um, challenges that a child might have, to their unique personality and and interests. I think all of those, uh, being able to adapt to all of those different variables is very, very helpful because children are not one size fits all. Every child is a unique and precious organism that has their own gifts and their own challenges. So having a, a diverse toolbox toolkit allows parents to really support their unique child. Coming up, how parents can support teaching their kids 21st century skills. Where Parents Talk returns in a moment. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. We are talking about the way in which kids learn and how parents can actively support that learning. Our guest is Dr. Christine Laguerre, researcher and professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. Now, Dr. Laguerre, 21st century skills, things like collaboration, critical thinking, etc. Can you paint a picture for us around the impact of knowing process skills and how that plays into 21st century skills development? Yeah, great question. There's been a lot of coverage and concern about how best to develop these 21st century skills. Um, And the reality is the economy has changed. And the types of skills that a lot of employers expect are, um, you know, exactly the sorts of things we described, creative problem solving. And those are the sorts of skills, troubleshooting, hypothesis testing, that require often very active, hands-on, exploration of more open-ended problems that often are solved in collaboration with other people. If you think about, you know, how the software industry works or many industries, it's not solitary memorization by individuals, which is what a lot of schools spend a lot of time requiring students to do. They are, you know, it's collective open-ended troubleshooting and problem solving and trying multiple, you know, trying something, iterating on that, getting feedback, getting ideas from multiple people, solving problems where, you know, there isn't, there's really no precedent for it. 
right? There's constant new technology and the development of, of new solutions to problems. So the more experience children get with activities of that sort, the more familiar they're going to be with that, the more empowered they're going to be, the more confident they're going to be in the face of uncertainty, right? So the way a lot of, of teaching occurs in, in schools, certainly traditionally, is that problems are given to children and a rubric for how to solve that problem is also provided to the child, right? That's not how, as it turns out, problem solving works in the world. Um, employers don't pay you to solve problems they already have solutions to. As it turns out, they're going to expect you to come up with those solutions. So the more we support children, and as it turns out, children are um, curious. They're interested in solving problems. They're interested in discovering new things. So harnessing that natural curiosity and openness to working together and collaboration, the earlier we start with this, the, the better. And parents can absolutely practice that sort of thing with their children, right? There's so many different ways that you can think about problem solving in the world and hands-on experience and working together. And I think that the more parents do that, in collaboration with with teachers it's not that teachers don't think these are valuable right um you know they have a number of different constraints they're working working on but again the more collaboration there is um in developing these skills as early as possible the better what would you say to parents listening to or watching this interview that may find themselves late to the game perhaps they haven't intentionally taught their kid process skills thinking it's being done at school or elsewhere What's your message to them? Well, it is never too late. <laughs> and my guess is that for those parents, there are many ways, in fact, they have supported process skills, just didn't really realize it or didn't have the, the, the terminology for that. So there's, again, learning to cook with your child, practicing uh, new recipes, all of those sorts of things involve things like process skills when maybe a recipe doesn't work out the way that you anticipated, um, trying something new and, uh, you know, evaluating the outcome based on systematically controlling for uh, adding different ingredients of different amounts. Those are process skills. So I think in, in more um, thinking about the learning process in, um, in much more inclusive everyday sorts of ways. So spending time with your child doing activities together almost always involves process skills. And spending time outside of the classroom in, you know, I, I, I mentioned children's museums. I work with uh, Thinkery in Austin, Texas, and there's just an endless opportunity to learn in, in, you know, in exhibits in open, unstructured ways. But cooking recipes together uh, going on a a, um, a walk in the forest and identifying different you know plants, getting a guidebook to discover plants in your environment, or um, bird watching, um, you know, really tailoring these kinds of activities to things your family enjoys. That's going to be the most exciting um, uh, and rewarding for everyone. There are really an infinite way, a number of ways that you can deepen process skills at any point in ways that fit your family's interests. Um, this is nothing that requires uh, spending a lot of money or buying special things. It just involves getting in touch with your child's interests and having fun together in learning context. And there's just so many options. 
for that. When you look at um, the pandemic and its its impact on how kids are learning and the fact that parents for at least two years have had a direct front row seat on how that learning is taking place. What do you think the impact of that has been on kids and how they learn now having parents understanding how a lot of that learning is taking place in school? Well, I think that on the the more positive side, um, this did this did provide parents an opportunity to spend more time with their children to learn a little bit more or maybe a lot more <laughs> about the content of what um, children are being you know, exposed to in in, um, in classrooms. The trick with the recent experience with technology is that you can't deco- decouple technology from what was in fact a very scary and um, traumatic experience for many people. So uh, the experience of technology and the experience of learning together, there were positive aspects of that, but it was also a very um, unnatural period of social isolation. So yes, children are spending time with their parents in the context of these screens, but there were many, many stressors um, in the backdrop of that or, you know, that were happening at the same time where children weren't interacting with their peers in the same way that they normally would. Uh, parents weren't interacting with their peers, with their extended family. So I think there's such a mixed bag associated with that particular time frame. I think that would have looked differently The if we could pull apart <laughs> the um, the learning experience part of it from the pandemic part of the experience. I think maybe it would have looked quite, um, you know, quite a bit different. Another kind of complication here is that we were thrown into this with really uh, no preparation and uh, kind of scrambling to figure this out together. So um, I would say the the whole context of that was uh, tremendously suboptimal, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the fact that so many parents were able to be flexible enough to kind of figure this out is quite commendable, but. At this point, I think stepping back and thinking, okay, what about that? What what are the, the positive learning aspects of that? What are the, the silver lining lessons that we can take from that? Um, now that we have returned to some, you know, to normalcy to some extent, um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of processing that people are are doing. Professor Laguerre, is there any aspect of this particular area of research that you've conducted? that has really struck you as a parent yourself? Well, I've certainly been struck by all of the different ways that self-regulatory abilities impact a child's development. So there's, uh, there's been a lot of attention to things like delay of gratification or inhibitory control. These um, more kind of overtly cognitive skills are, you know, deeply related to educational attainment, achievement, uh, you know, all sorts of different achievement related um, metrics in school. And then even after school, um, as children uh, go into college and enter the workforce. So thinking about all of the different ways that the development of self-regulation uh, can be supported in the schooling context, but also outside the schooling context and giving children an opportunity to practice uh, controlling their attention, practice 
harnessing their working memory, focusing on the, um, the you know, focusing on planning, focusing on identifying sub goals to achieve a particular goal, uh, following through, persisting in the face of obstacles. These pay off, the, the development of these skills pay off at every single point in development. And children of different ages need different sorts of support, but it is absolutely never too early to give children practice doing this because it is a, a very whole child approach to socio-emotional development, cognitive development, even physical development. Practicing a sport requires persevering over time, learning how to throw a ball and catch it. Um, if you think about you know, something like a sport, there's lots of different ways, even in very early childhood, that children can begin practicing that, getting fine motor control um, <laughs> practice, uh, persevering when learning how to throw that ball exactly where you want it doesn't happen the first time you throw it. <laughs> that it's, uh, you know, so supporting children in these self-regulatory abilities from an early age equips them with resiliency, with confidence, with the recognition that even if I can't do it now, I will be able to do it at some point um, if I continue to practice and I continue to invest in it. And not setting up an expectation that if there's not immediate mastery, um, that's okay. That's for complex skills. There's not going to be immediate mastery. Many complex um, skills require many years of investment and taking pride in making progress towards mastery is just as a point as important as that sort of final achievement. There will be many parents who say, I don't want my child to have to go through what I went through. I want to try to limit the amount of adversity, suffering, any negative experiences for them. What could you say to that parent in terms of why that may not be an optimal approach in teaching children process skills? I love that question. And it's actually something I feel very powerfully about. Uh, I think that um, there's many things to keep in mind. I completely resonate with the desire to uh, shield your child from frustration and disappointment. Um, the problem with that is that life is full of frustration and challenge and disappointment. And optimal thriving is about how you react to those experiences and how you persevere in the face of obstacles. And children need child-appropriate practice at persisting in the face of frustration or challenge. Uh, if children don't get opportunities to practice that, it's it's like a it's strength, right? It's socio-emotional strength. If you don't give children an opportunity to practice that, when they eventually do come um you know, very <laughs> front and center with these challenges, they're not equipped to handle them. And often are, uh, they're more likely to give up or to feel that, oh, there's absolutely no way that I can manage this. When in fact, they can manage it. They just need some practice. So giving child appropriate opportunities to strengthen resiliency is the best gift that you can give your child. And not giving children that opportunity doesn't give them an opportunity to, to build self-confidence. You can't love your children into self-confidence. Self-confidence is earned. And it's earned through taking on challenge, being courageous enough to take a risk, and persevere in the face of that challenge. 
So true confidence requires uh, practice and you've got to give children that practice. It is um, absolutely the best thing that you can do for a child. Lots of important food for thought. Dr. Christine Laguerre, professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. So appreciate your time and your perspective today. Thank you for having me. Watch the full video interview with Dr. Laguerre at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.